And now, happening live, coming to you from the United States and around the world, it's the EdTech Situation Room. I am your host, Wes Fryer, joining you from Oklahoma City with more microphones than any show host would ever need. But we had a little technical glitch before before the show, uh, and I'm really excited about tonight's show. I'm joined, as always, by the amazing Jason Neifer. Jason, has fall finally come to Montana? It has. In fact, we almost froze the other night. I think we were hovering just around 34, which means that my garden will soon uh, perish, which is sad for the season. But, um, yeah, fall's here. I'm happy for it to be here. Um, knock on wood, we had relatively little fire action in Montana this summer, which has started to turn into our norm. And so cooler temperatures, and I saw some trees today with some beautiful leaves, and I think fall is here. What about the Midwest? Well, we've been teased. So we had we had a bit of a tease this weekend, but we were back in the 80s and and 90s and nothing close to to freezing. So, but we're uh, had a little rain today. So, looking forward to it because it's uh, yeah whatever. We always complain about the weather, but I love the fall. It's my favorite season. So pretty pretty excited. Uh, springs uh, just edges it out, but I just love transition seasons. Absolutely. Well, for those of you that may be new to the show, uh, we want to let you know that you can go to edtechsr.com and click on the links tab, and there you will be able to access all of our show notes for tonight's 22nd show, as well as all of our other shows. You can also fill out our listener survey, and we have that at the top of the show notes and are going to probably keep that up there for a while, and I may do a few shout-outs later in the show. And, uh, Jason, you want to tell everybody sort of the format of our show and what our goal generally is, although we're going to have a, a bit of a special show tonight. Sure. We usually take the news from around the technology industry and try to spin on um, what the EdTech angle might be on that news. And some weeks we achieve – um, you know, a little more direct to the topic than others. We oftentimes will take just straight tech news and kind of bat it around like last week's iPhone and, and, and Apple announcements. There wasn't a whole lot for education um, in, in those announcements, but, um, you know, teachers are iPhone users. So we assume that, that there's some applicability to the general tech news. Um, and we occasionally have guests. Uh, we've, we've done, we did a little earlier with that. We did a little more with that earlier in the process than we have as of late, but, uh, we feel like we've got a stable platform now. We're broadcasting for those of you interested in, in watching the show. It's, um, 9 PM central, 8 PM mountain time. Um, if you're ever interested in jumping on, we always throw the link up, um, on Twitter, EdTechSR. Um, is our Twitter handle, or you can go to us individually, Tech Savvy Teach, or Dr. Fryer is W. Fryer. Um, but the goal here is to talk about uh, ongoing, uh, evolving tech news with the EdTech Lens. Awesome. Very good summary. Well, and tonight, before we jump into our focus, I will mention my learning point on the YouTube Live. So Google Hangouts has been transitioning, and Google's basically you know, pushed it into YouTube. When you log in, you go to the corner icon and, and click on your Creator Studio, and then there's a tab in the left that says Live Streaming Events, and it seems like things are always changing. And I actually edited an event. I think this might have thrown you last night or last week when you hosted because you have two choices when you create an event. It can be quick streaming or you can do the encoder. And I realized that the event for tonight was set up with an encoder. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have, you know, separate software. So I had to recreate. I think it's probably still streaming. We do have one viewer out there, so that's awesome. Uh, the dashboard, when you use the encoder, has is nice and, and kind of shows the live chat. Uh, so, so we had a live viewer out there who um, was was waiting with bated breath for us to get started. But anyway, Google Hangouts lives on within YouTube Live, uh, and you know this continues to be an opportunity for us to experiment with new technologies and and see what's um, what's working and what the affordances are. Um, if you'd like to do a shout out or ask us a question or interact. Uh, there is the, a YouTube chat link, I think, on the side, and, and we'll try to get to that. Uh, but we'll definitely also be checking the EdTechSR hashtag. So if you just want to tweet hashtag EdTechSR, we will check that as well. So tonight's show is a special one. We mentioned previously this article by um, Nicholas uh, Carderis and his um, most recent article in Time Magazine on August 31st was titled Screens in schools are a $60 billion hoax. 
And um, Jason, I'll kick it over to you just to tell a little bit of, of an overview. And then I'd like to talk a little bit about his background because I did some research online about his previous work and, and publications and watched his TEDx talk. And then I, I think we'll maybe kind of get into uh, what his assertions are and then a little breakdown of, of what he gets right and what he gets wrong. Because there's a lot here and there's some there's some accurate stuff that I totally agree with. Right. But I think as we get into the show um, – I'm anticipating that uh, both of us are going to have some some issues with the uh, points and assertions that he has. So overall, Jason, how did you stumble upon this? And uh, what do you know in the way of background about uh, Carderis or about this article? Well, um, Dr. Carderis, and by the way, if, if for some uh, mysterious reason this ends up on your desk, Dr. Carderis, please contact us via Twitter um, or um, go to edtechsr.com and, and connect with us. We'd love to have you on the show to debate these issues more directly. Um, but we're obviously going to be a little one-sided tonight because I think that, and I'm guessing Wes and I will come down larger on the same side on a number of these issues. But this is a Time Magazine article, and um, there's a, a, a link to uh, the article in our show notes. And for those of you new to the show, edtechsr.com, you get all the links from, from each week's episode. Uh, but this um, particular uh, article was in Time Magazine on August 31st, 2016, and the, the title of the article is Screens in Schools Are $60 Billion Hopes. And the article um, is, I think, a long, complex argument that ends up being, you know, kind of boiled down to this particular article. And I think it's it's part of the intent of the article is to tease um, uh, Dr. Kaderis's book, Glow Kids, How Screen Addiction is Hijacking Our Brains and How to Break the Trance. And I'll admit, although I purchased the book almost immediately after buying the, uh, I'm sorry, after reading the the article, so I guess mission accomplished, right? I, I end up buying the book. Uh, I've only be, scratched the surface of the book, and the argument may be more nuanced than this uh, boiled-down version of, of the article is. But uh, basically it's that, you know, we are uh, immersed in an environment where technology is is, is claimed to be a, a, a big uh, 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 equalizer, magic bullet, um, and there are many things that are wrong with the screen time that we are uh, compelling onto our students. Um, uh, there's a, a lot of pieces here, but um, screen time is associated with a number of ills, uh, the expansion of ADHD, screen addiction, depression, anxiety, increased aggression, and then if you look beyond the, the potential impacts of screen time, um, he cites the fact that there's been you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars spent on technology in classrooms. Um, he cites efforts by um, uh, folks like Rupert Murdoch to get into this business. He also cites the ill-fated iPad implementation in the LA Unified School District in an attempt to discredit that and say that it's become a massive hoax um, uh, uh, for schools, that we're dumping money into something that's really making our students um, worse. He then um, does a, a common argument of education reformers, and he talks about Finland, um, uh, the school system that has ranked near the top um, in his terms globally, and they have decided that tech is um, is suspect, so they, they don't utilize it in schools, although my understanding is that the argument's more complex than that. Um, and um, uh, as opposed to U.S. schools where students are largely sedentary, and then um, uh, looks at at various groups that also kind of support his larger sets of views. Um, I'm almost certain that um, that the book will go into more uh, solutions to these problems, which is where I'm sure that that uh, Wes and I will will spend some time tonight because I, I there's there's a lot to agree. Agree with here, but I think that the next step of this is what's wrong. Like I wouldn't call um, all ed tech a, a hoax, for example. Um, there are plenty of things that are worth criticism, but a hoax is a strong word. I think my overall summary of responses is that there are absolutely um, concerns to have with screen time and with digital technology, both for us as adults as well as for kids, but. It is dangerous to oversimplify research and to oversimplify and a, a, um, conclusions about technology, um, and and we can be very rash and I think race down the wrong path. 
and just I grabbed five books off my shelf uh, that I'm going to give shout outs to tonight um, because he, he mentioned some great authors and some great books. Um, and, and, you know, and I've got in the show notes um, one of the, the studies that he talks about at the end of his TEDx Ursuline um, presentation was a 1998 study about evidence for striatial dopamine release during a video game. Um, he mentions Jane Healy, Failure to Connect. Great, great book. Uh, some of this stuff is going to go back a little ways. Uh, this is probably, yeah, nine, this is a 98 book. Um, we've heard, you know, people talk for quite a while about, you know, computers affecting our kids' minds and what we can do about it. I th- and I think one of my overall points is going to be, you know, let's not lay the blame for the ubiquity of smartphones and screens at the feet of schools. Let's recognize this is happening societally. Schools are reflecting that. And part of the job that we have as teachers and in schools is to help equip students as well as parents and others to make good choices about how we use our screens to be intentional. And I think to accomplish the goals that uh, Card- Carderas talks about in his TEDx talk, which is to help to find healthy and balanced ways to to develop our identity, to pursue our curiosity and develop our creativity and, and those kinds of things. Um, I was also reminded, and I think he referenced this, Todd Oppenheimer's book, The Flickering Mind. Um, this is a really, a really good read. And, uh, these were, these were things I was actually, you know, in the midst of reading, this was 2004 when I was working on my own dissertation. Um, Sherry Turkle, Life on the Screen. This is a, this is a pretty, uh, dated one. This is maybe the oldest one that I've got here. Uh, this is a 1995 book, you know, looking at the, the effects of, of being on the screen and, um, what these kind of connections can do, not just negatively, but I mean, the, the, the subtitle of this is Identity in the Age of the Internet. Um, and the other one that I don't think I have a copy of, uh, at the house, or I just couldn't, couldn't grab it, um, but it was Oversold and Underused, which is Larry Cuban's look at, you know, technology in Silicon Valley specifically, and really the, the very limited impact that it has had on measures of student achievement and in, in changing school and generally, um, in general. Um, two books that I had on the shelf that really, I think, have a more balanced and, and an optimistic view. Uh, Don Tapscott's book, uh, Growing Up Digital, The Rise of the Net Generation. Uh, Tapscott was a keynote speaker at ISTE a number of years ago. This is also a 1998 text. And absolutely, if you're going to read any of these books, this is the one to read. This is John C. Lee Brown and Douglas Thomas, A New Culture of Learning, Captivating Imagination for a World of Constant Change. One of the things that I'm going to note about these authors, uh, different from Carderas, is their background in education as scholars, as professors, as teachers. Um, one of the things, if, as you you know, Google Carderas and, and, and look for his digital footprint, um, he doesn't appear to be on Twitter at this time. Although, hey, maybe he'll get on Twitter uh, as a result of our show. He'll want to he'll, he'll run reach out and tweet us. Um, his professional site indicates he's one of the country's foremost addiction specialists, um, and he's, he's got two books on Amazon: a 2011 book called "How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life." Um, and then, uh, this Glow Kids it just came out on August 9th, 2016. And I, I do really commend his TEDx Ursuline, um, video. That was from November of 2014. And he, he really sees his calling in life at this point to be, um, encouraging educators and parents and, and folks in schools to take a more intentional and nuanced view of how we use technology. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he kind of concludes talking about how seven and eight year olds don't have the ego strength to say no to the screen and, uh, tells stories of screen addiction, talks about, you know, China. We've, I think, I don't think we've, I think we've talked about these stories before. It may have been some of the stuff we've done before we started the regular EdTech SR show. We did a couple years of uh, sort of end of year in EdTech, but, you know, there are, there are crazy boot camps that they have in China to try and help youth mainly. Uh, break their screen addictions, and and he has you know stories about World of Warcraft, gaming induced psychotic breaks, and derealization and depersonalization experiences. And we certainly do have outlier experiences. And and there, the 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 article that I wanted to reference was from our episode twelve. It was Tristan Harris, May nineteenth, yeah. two thousand sixteen. How technology hijacks people's minds from a magician and Google Google's design ethicist. You know, that was a, an article that Jason 
shared and and you know overall I'm I love doing this show and one of the reasons I love it is because articles like that not only are interesting in the moment but they they marinate in your mind and it helps yeah. you uh frame and better understand the landscape that we're living in which is very nuanced and complex it's not right. simple and it's not as easy as just saying screens bad you know cursive good i mean that is that is a, a vast oversimplification I will throw it to you without a specific question, Jason. Uh, I, I, I kind of wanted to just give that little background, yeah. though, about his digital footprint and, and some of the, because I think there's a lot of good stuff that that he's pointing out as far as screen time, but it it does in in the end sound a lot like Chicken Little, the sky is falling, and it sounds unfair as he sort of lays at school's feet blame for saying, you know, you you silly educators, why are you trying to use these screens? Um, and and almost I think having a misunderstanding that no one in no professional educator I know is advocating for turning kids loose on their screens for unlimited free time at school or seeing the screen right. primarily as a tool for entertainment. You know, engagement is different than being enthralled. The root of the word enthrall is slave thrall. And we do see my, my daughter's watching Netflix right now on YouTube and other kinds of things. She's also creating videos and publishing and went over 500 subscribers on her channel this week. But, um, you know, we, we, we definitely see the potential for technology to be enthralling and, and almost and enslaving. And we've got examples of those kinds of addictions. But used well, it's incredibly powerful. It can be transformative. It can open up new new avenues for learning. And, I, you know, I, I think it's it's just hugely unfair to try to, to paint with a single brush everyone using technology in education and saying you guys are damaging kids because really that's what he's doing. He is he is pointing the finger at, at teachers and administrators and saying you are failing our children because you are just exacerbating the evils of the screen in the classroom or in, in their lives, I guess. Do you think that's right. a fair understanding of what he's kind of accusing us of as educators? It is, and, and I think that, that part of what I would want to do is revisit this in a couple of weeks, and I'm hoping we, we, we strike a chord uh, with listeners and, and others that might stumble into this video later, because I think this is a conversation we need to be having in the community. But I would point out two things, and then I might have a suggested way we maybe dig a little deeper into these issues. First, um, you will not find many more even-handed people than me and Wes, right? Like we, I, I think both of us talk a lot about how big of limits there are to these technologies, not because of the, the potential danger in them, but because you would never want to adopt a technology or reform or any classroom model in such a holistic or unthinking way that you can't bend to where the best of that model is, is available. Um, and I think that that's an important piece here is that a nuanced part of this argument is not that we're the opposite of this, that $60 billion of technology uh, spending has been well spent in the United States. In fact, I would argue it's been largely squandered. Um, but the, the key piece here is that, um, you know, it's, it's just so much more nuanced than technology good, technology bad. And so that's where you really have to approach this argument. In fact, that's one of the biggest things that I think that when, when I speak on these issues, I resonate with is that you're not going to find a bigger advocate for putting technology into classrooms or more importantly in students' hands, but I'm not going to pretend that there are distraction issues and pretty clear research about anxiety and how overly connecting our students has become a real issue. But I would argue that, that, that there's remedies to that that doesn't pretend that technology is exists or can be a powerful tool for learning or for creating. So what I would suggest we do is the, the first piece is, is that I want to talk about maybe some of the individual arguments for a moment, most of which I think we're probably going to agree with, but with the buts. And then the second piece is, is that I, I think we need to spend a little bit of time digging into the notion of um, what do we, like, what, what's the answer to this question, right? Like, if all these arguments are true, then what's the next step of that? And then finally, um, uh, I guess that there's a summary argument. Like, let's pretend he's 100% right. What does that mean? Um, and we'll go from there. So, Wes, I, I kind of want to start with the digital distraction issue, because, as you know, um, I've spoken on this issue to a number of teacher groups now. And um, I, I, the way I start that presentation, and I've given it a number of different forms, is that um, 
there's a, a really great book uh, by a gentleman by the name Richard Saul Worman called Information Anxiety. And it's a book that talks a little bit about uh, the problem with our, our, our buffet of information is that information anxiety is his definition is the black hole between data and knowledge. And it happens when information doesn't tell us what we want or need to know. And you really are exposed to a shocking amount of information in, in today's world that really has no sense of its real value. And I, I show three um, uh, three examples of this when I speak. One of them is there's a really beautiful video on, on, on the Internet called Ninja Cat. Uh, it's really a piece of poetry. It's a beautiful piece of video. It's it's basically a, um, a minute and um, I think 20 seconds of a cat that seems to be moving like a ninja. It has you know, 4 million views, um, but it has no information with it that says what the value of that video is. A second example I can provide is if you go onto Taylor Swift's Instagram account, the vast majority of photos um, on that account give you no real sense of where it places in your world or what value that information does for you. And to make it more personal, you can go onto my Twitter, I'm sorry, my Instagram account, and I'm at Knifer on Instagram if you really want to see what I'm talking about. And there are at least 25 selfies with cats uh, on that, right? And it's entertaining, I'm sure, because my cat has a mustache. But the frank answer is, is that it has no sense of what that val the value of that information is, right? And it's important to note that, that uh, Worman's book was written in 1989. And for those of you unfamiliar with technology of 1989, the IBM PS2, which ran Windows 3.0, I believe, was the best-selling computer of that year with their uh, phrase, just PS2 it. Um, you know, that's what we're talking about, right? Those machines had almost no ability to engage you in comparison to the average crappy Android phone that you could buy in a blister pack at the grocery store, right? And I think that's an important note here is that we've been wringing our hands about this for the longest time. And what's true about this is that there's no doubt that we have way too much information that we can, uh, that we can utilize. It is hitting us in the face over and over again. If you have a smartphone, chances are you have a uh, you know, uh, dozens of notifications right now, and you're not going to be able to see mine, which is probably a good thing, but, you know, these are all things that are clamoring for my attention, and technology is constantly poking you in the shoulder saying, hey, hey there, hello, hey there, pay attention to me, hello, hello, hello. And I can tell you that notifications of new tweets from uh, that may mention my Twitter handle get the exact same uh, treatment with with that tech with with those notifications than do text messages from my mother right and text messages from my mom are way more valuable than anything on Twitter ever right so that's something that 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 is absolutely true in in 2016. Wes, would you agree with that notion? I absolutely would, and I'm you know we're going to throw a lot of show notes and, and recommendations for reading, which incidentally is one of the best things that happens to me from podcasts. If somebody mentions a book, they mention a show. Um, you know, and that just leads to, to a lot more learning. I'm thinking of an article called, well, I'm thinking of a couple things. Neil Postman, one of my favorite authors, and I think Postman would be right in with us in this conversation. He was very critical of the television and of the zombification of, you know, society by mass media. He talks about in teaching as a subversive activity, which is a fantastic read, how we all need crap detectors because we need to be critical consumers of information. And, you know, he was writing before the interactive web and the, the modern age of, of the internet. But I'm thinking of Postman and I'm also thinking of Anderson and Crothwall's article, The Attention Economy, which was a really big article for me, not thinking about this as an information age, but they say, you know, economies are defined by what's scarce and what's scarce today is attention, not information. Information right. is plentiful. And so, you know, it is vital that we take proactive control over the radar screens, the digital screens, the, the, onslaught of information that is coming at us and kids seven and eight year olds um, are ill-equipped to handle this many adults I would I mean we're all challenged by this because 
we did not have the volume of information, the incredible capacity to connect and to interact. These are, are relatively new things. Yes, computers and screens have been around for a while. You know, I graduated high school in 88. My first school computer in 1981 was a Commodore 64 at Manhattan Middle School in Kansas. And, you know, we, we programmed in basic and technology's done a lot of shifts and changes in those times. We are living in exponential change. We're, we're living in a time of rapid discontinuous change where, you know, I just updated my iPhone to iOS 10 tonight. It took 23 minutes. It was over a gigabyte in size and it took, you know, 23 minutes to download and fully install. Um, I don't know. I, there, there's a whole lot that's, that's connected here and we, we definitely need to be more. I mean, you're the tech savvy teacher, right? That's your Twitter handle, Jason, is tech savvy teach. And I would guess that's a good thing maybe to ask you is what does that mean? My understanding of tech savvy would be, you know, th- th- this idea of a critical consumer and a critical user yep. and not someone who is just blindly sort of opening the mouth and, you know, accepting all the, the content, but really, uh, being nuanced and informed ab- about what is appropriate, what is not appropriate, how do I limit things, you know, when do I choose to, to use, when do I choose not to use? What, what right. does Tech Savvy Teach mean to you? Why would you pick that handle? Well, uh, and this is, I would say that this, the notion of Tech Savvy Teacher is now 15 years old. It was uh, uh, a domain name I purchased um, a long time ago, and, and, and my original notion was that I thought teachers should be more nerdy, right? Like you have the power to, to adopt powerful practices to get in and really get your hands dirty with tech. And I still believe that, but it's more than that now. It's that, you know, teachers, teachers, right? Good teachers, not tech teachers, teachers, you know, are, you have to be mindful consumers on behalf of their students. And your choice to use technology is uh, not as important in my mind as your choice to sometimes not use technology, right? Like you, the deciding which technology goes where, how it enhances the learning, not how learning enhances the technology um, is a critical part of being a teacher in the 21st century, right? Now that we've had wide uh, a wide adoption of internet in the past 15 years, there's now internet in every classroom, now there's Wi-Fi in many schools, now there's one-to-one devices in many schools, now there is cell phones in many of our students' pockets, you have to help students navigate these uh, troublesome times, right? Like when I hear the technology is distracting, I don't think, man, put it away. I think, wow, we have to learn some skills in order to best deal with that. And I think part of the problem with my grander argument here is you can't uninvent this stuff, right? And if a student has 24 hours in a day and 16 of those are dominated by a device that never gets referred to in the other eight hours, we have a real problem at education really teaching students about interacting with one another and with content and with ideas and with one another With if, if we decide to leave those devices out. Now, does that mean that it should be, and Wes made this argument earlier, all tech all the time or that you should be just sitting there rubbing your face in an iPad, uh, exposing yourself to meaningless media? Of course not. That's a completely ridiculous notion. And I think almost every teacher would agree that day in and day out, having students sit there mindlessly looking at iPads would be for them and a complete waste of time, right? But, you know, bringing technology in at the appropriate time and integrating it at a meaningful uh, circumstance, sometimes deciding that 29 of your students should put their tech away. It's only one student that's helping feed a conversation or, 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 or push discussion or help define things in regards to a lecture or a discussion. That's, that's technology integration, right? And sometimes it's independent and sometimes it's with the group, but it's not devoid 100% of the time. I want to extend an invitation to Dr. Carderis to come to Oklahoma City and visit my wife's classroom, okay? My wife, Shelly, teaches third and fourth grade at Positive Tomorrows, which is a school for homeless children, and they have been iPad one-to-one for three years. They don't have the kids take their iPads home, and she's blessed by a small class size. I think she has 13 students right now, and she has a full-time assistant, 
And their school is all about helping not only the child, but the family. They have family support services um, staff, you know, helping moms, you know, get uh, clothing, get housing, uh, transportation. There, there's just this huge range of, of services. And many of the kids this year in her class are coming from the City Rescue Mission, which is a private homeless shelter downtown in Oklahoma City. And judges now in Oklahoma are evidently granting more deferments for prison time for mothers who, and I'm going to, I'm not a hundred percent, but th this is my perception as the spouse of, of a teacher who's a lot of times we have moms that are put in jail who might be at the scene of a crime, like a felony when a, a convenience store is held up. Uh, that person didn't commit a, a, a violent crime, but they were present and they were in the vehicle so there's a lot of, of, of uh, parents at this point who, um, anyway, have are, are in programs and are seeking to better themselves. And we're talking about serious challenge, okay? It's probably, you know, we've got homeless kids all over the place in all kinds of schools. My point is, if they did not have the technology, if my wife did not have the technology in her hands and her students' hands, She's got students from a, almost a pre-K kindergarten reading level to fourth, fifth grade, all right, in the same room with, with 13 uh, students. Being able to have reading instruction and the same article, Newsomatic, as an example, has current events. They've been, they were talking about 9-11 in a very appropriate way, you know, this last week. Um, they have all, you know, the Olympics, all kinds of things. You know, kids don't even realize it, but they're reading at a kindergarten first grade level, if that's their Lexile level, or they're reading at a fourth or fifth grade level. Being able to have tools like that, and it reads to them. They can have highlighted text that's reading. I really would love for authors like Dr. Carderis and, and others that are so harshly critical of technology to spend some time in a classroom where technology is being used well to differentiate the learning experience, not only to bring content that is, you know, understandable and consumable. I mean, we're talking about kids who in, in some cases are non-readers and the technology allows them to become readers, to join the literacy club. I mean, to be excited about deer time, drop everything and read, huge things. When technology is not only used for that, but it's also used to create, to make, to publish, to empower students in their voices. Uh, they, she didn't publish the podcast tonight, but they just recorded a podcast tonight uh, called Talking Science. And that was a, a series, a short-lived series I started with our son back when he was in elementary school. I mean, it's just there's such a huge divide between the perspective I think that he has as, as a non-educator and somebody who's taking a clinical look at, you know, the effects of screens and addictions and all of that to what I see and, and breathe and live with, with teachers that are using technology in these transformative ways to just absolutely not only connect, but engage students and, and help them, you know, be, um, elevated in their in their literacy skills in, in huge ways so i don't know if i'm i'm uh going a, a far afield with that but it's that it's just one of my biggest thoughts is the ways that i see and experience technology being used very constructively and and very transformatively just doesn't seem to be a part of the perspective in in this article and other kinds of articles i've read that that take such a you know tech bad handwriting good perspective well, let's take a moment and talk about, um, uh, and I'll give a shout out to him. And apparently the last week when I gave a shout out to him, the audio event cut out. So sorry, Dr. Martin Horatio at the University of Montana, who uh, we discussed his article uh, a bit yesterday. And he sent me some thoughts this morning by email. And he made a really interesting argument that that the big uh, problem with this the set of arguments is that that it's kind of calling out capitalism's problem in regards to ed tech right and that that the, some of the bigger issues here is that there's obviously massive corporate interests that are taking advantage of schools and maybe some of the fervor around the, the necessity or perceived necessity to put educational technology in the classroom but I would, I would want to have a conversation about this for a moment. My guess is we could come up with a pretty big list pretty quickly. Ill-fated technologies that were either 
um, at their implementation a waste or long after they were useful became a waste and, and have been um, not good uh, uses of either public or private funds. And so I'll throw the initial gauntlet down. Um, I think that there's a lot of interactive whiteboards that get sold and put into classrooms without any thought on how to use them. I want to be super clear. I've seen some impressive implementations of interactive whiteboards in classrooms. I'm not saying that the, the technology is universally suspect, but when I've seen districts that are touting we've put a smart board in every classroom or massive grant funds going to putting smart boards in all this classroom and all that classroom, I oftentimes will pause because I feel like putting an X in every classroom is really the, the worst strategy, right? Not that we should be limiting per se, but you know, uh, applying one of X technologies and interactive whiteboards are really good um, uh, a really good example of this because I've heard it so often in, in discussion related to educational technology. And for those of you that, that don't go to ISTE, you could always find someone, uh, walking up and down the aisles of the, the vendor, uh, of floor at ISTE that's very critical of X, Y, and Z technologies. And almost every year that someone that complains about interactive whiteboard displays, and I don't often disagree with them either, but, you know, I think that's an example of something that gets oversold and underutilized, especially if no professional development or no thought or, or need analysis goes into um, the implementation of that, that technology uh, uh, tool. Wes, can you think of an example of an overbought, underused technology? Well, you know, we're, we're living that as far as at our school right now. Um, I'm, I just am presenting to teachers about this can, this needs to probably look different in different classrooms. It's not going to be a one size fits all. Um, yeah. shout out to Dr. Carderas. You know, he talks about Rupert Murdoch. You already mentioned this and his Amplify, uh, initiative. And, uh, you know, the, some of this is, is with Common Core and this push to have single standards so that we can have one test that we can push down to everybody. And okay, if you're going to get a device, let's make sure you can, you know, take the test online because, you know, that's our focus. It becomes a real tail wagging the dog initiative instead of looking at the very constructive and potentially transformative uses of the technology to differentiate learning, to help meet the needs of students, to really put useful tools in the hands of teachers that let teachers have a better window into what students can and can't do and where they're struggling, where their gaps are, you know, where they need, you know, additional assistance and, and mentoring and, and tutoring. You know, we're, we're looking at basically how do we more efficiently, you know, test a generation of students so, so we can slam schools, and I say we, so that Folks that have that reform agenda can slam schools and convince, you know, the powers that be that we, we need, you know, educational reform, a la the Broad Foundation and, you know, other groups that really um, want to push a privatization agenda. I mean, we, we need to improve our schools. We absolutely do. In fact, I think I think we need to make many schools smaller. We've got a huge district here in Oklahoma City, and I think we've had seven superintendents in five years or something crazy like that. And you know, we need good leaders. We need people who understand education, who understand children, and who understand technology. I mean, that's why this issue is really important to get right and not to get wrong. Because as as you were alluding to, I think, Jason, we need to talk about what is the answer to this. Yeah. And the answer to this can't be... or Well, I don't think it should morally be or ethically be as, a, as an educator. We don't do anything with screens at school. Yeah. We all can probably think about times in our lives, and this gets like back to the, the nostalgia of the old days when we used to wander the, you know, the, the neighborhood on our bicycles and we didn't have any cell phones that tethered us to mom and dad. And, you know, maybe we stayed out till dusk in, in the summertime and played, you know, baseball in the sandlot. And, you know, the world has changed in a lot of ways and our perception of the world has been changed by technology and that's not all good, right? I remember when Columbine happened in 2000, was that 2001? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I was teaching a group, uh, co-teaching a group of first graders the next day in, in Lubbock, Texas, and they all came to school scared, you know? They didn't yeah. really know exactly what happened, but they knew some kids got shot at school. And, and that's a day where I said, man, think about what it was like before the telegraph and current events, you know, because that, was was a day of less fear. We we live in a day filled with fear and there every powerful technology 
can be used for good and it can be used for evil. And, and what we shouldn't do is simply focus and, and, and hold up those horrific examples of, gosh, look at this kid who had this uh, Internet addiction thing and World of Warcraft thing and then generalize that outlier to say, therefore, all screens, you know, are going to be destructive. Therefore, we shouldn't have anything to do with these in schools. We need to consider those, but, you know, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. And there's some kind of a philosophic, um, you know, name for for arguments, or maybe it's a debate name, you know, for for doing this. Because valid things that he's got in here, and, and you you said smart boards, you know, I think there's can be a rush for for iPads, and I'll throw the example of Los yeah. Angeles schools, you know, where yeah. where we had um, you know superintendent and others, you know, really excited about one to one learning, and just really having a rush to to implement without adequate professional development, without curriculum, uh, just. Not smart, not smart, and right. and it was a and, huge th- and throwing rack. money and throwing money at the issue too. I mean, that's where if you want to talk about a hoax, you can't spend your way out of good implementation of, of educational technology. More is not better unless you're planning around that. And uh, you're probably I, I love I love my iPad. You can, you can pry it from my cold dead hands, right? Whereas I, as a teacher, never really kind of got my 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 mojo with the smart board, right? But uh, the iPad, uh, critical tool. Not only for me, but I would think of a thousand ways to use it with a group of students. But the, the, the bottom line reality is, is that that doesn't mean it's exempt from good planning, good forethought, good goal setting. And, you know, if it, like it's right, we did our LA Unified blew millions of dollars, assuming that the technology alone would create magic, right? You can't, you know, sprinkle iPad dust over uh, a, a classroom environment that isn't already, you know, well functioning and expected to then fix anything. And I think that that's, that's absolutely true, but that doesn't mean the technology itself is suspect. And to preview another show, I think Jason and I have been encouraged by perhaps Martin uh, to do a little show on surveillance and the surveillance state. And we've referenced a, a number of articles about, you know, the downsides of privacy and, and oversharing. And, you know, we've got a nexus that is societally happening and has been happening for years with a military industrial complex and with spending and now with surveillance in schools. We have a nexus of, you know, interactions that continue to happen with companies that want to, want to profit and want, and, you know, and I'm not anti-capitalist. I think there's a lot of positive things to, to say about, um, you know, the market elements within an economy, but it's not a good thing to simply see education as, you know, a cash cow that we're going to try and exploit. And I think sometimes as educators and parents and as students, you know, we're the recipients of, I, I went to South by Southwest a couple of years ago. I felt like the bait. I felt like the meat as a teacher that was, there. <laughs> you know, the predators were, you know, they're watching to say, you know, what can I offer you so that I can, you know, get a bigger piece of the pie. And there were some constructive sides to that. It was, it was, it was a positive experience, but it was weird. It felt right. very different from other educational technology conferences that I had been to. And so, those kinds of dynamics, you know, uh, kudos to, um, to to Dr. Carderas for pointing that, those things out, but extending the argument to then say, and so we shouldn't, ha- you know, because Amplify is trying to push a product on students and, and schools that, that may not have research basis and, you know, and I would say is largely a consumptive device. It's not designed to help students create and make. I mean, the last four years I've been pouring myself into the website showwithmedia.com, 12 different products that students and teachers, you know, can and do create to show what they know. Uh, we need to use media as a, as a deeper um, window into the mind of students and what they understand and what they can do. You know, I think those 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 criticisms of Amplifier are pretty valid, and there's also really good you know criticism of CAI, computer aided instruction, and a vision of learning where we just sit kids in front of screens and say, "Okay, kids, go learn." Thankfully, we don't have to hire certified teachers anymore. We'll just have aides that'll walk around the room and you know make sure you're on your lesson at the right time. That may may meet some you know students' learning uh, styles and learning needs, but you know overall that that vastly under 
uh, not cells, but it just, it, there's so much more that we can do with educational technology than, than that particular vision. So, Jason, what, uh, we got about, no, 15, 30, I guess we started a little bit late. So we got about 15 minutes uh, left. We're going to do uh, Geeks of the Week. Where are, where's your thinking going when you're considering the answer to, to this uh, question? You, you pose the question, what if Carderas is right? You know, so do you want to answer that question? And where do you yeah. see this going as far as an answer to, to his points? Sure. I'd say if you granted every single one of his arguments about why technology is bad, and, and frankly, I think you probably get a lot of, of, of nods amongst even the advocates of educational technology, right? But even if you grant all of those are true, all of those as true, I do not believe that you could universally or even selectively ban tech from schools for one simple reason. Uh, you can't uninvent this stuff, right? And I'll repeat an argument earlier because in my mind it's like, that's really well worded, Jason, but um, that you can't uh, take a 24-hour day and pretend it doesn't exist for eight hours only to expose students to the rest of the 16 hours with zero guidance from learned professionals, right? And if you believe that schools are important, as important for teaching social skills as they are content, um, I think teachers owe it to kids to uh, enforce uh, standards in classrooms, help students understand when is the time to go to your phone and when is time to put it away. When is it time to go out and run around the building or play kickball or dodgeball? And then when is it time to put the phone away, right? When is it time to look something up? And when is it time to to think your way through something, right? And, and I see evidence of this all the time. Uh, where there are students that are trying to look up answers to questions that are really asking them to think through and present an opinion or an argument, right? And that's a failure of, 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 of education to teach that student when is the right time and wrong time to do that. I have no disagreement that there are plenty of opportunities and times where technology will add almost nothing to a learning environment or a lesson or a specific concept being learned or taught, but that's uh, fluent in a uh, in a classroom, right? That that or I'm sorry, that's fluid in a classroom, right? You have to sometimes bring the technology in, and you have to pull it back out again. You have to orchestrate your learning environment, and and I always see this. And again, I'm I'm just straight up cribbing Martin tonight, but he talks about information orchestration, and I love that notion because I I I'm a music guy uh, uh 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 was a big music guy in high school, and I keep thinking about that uh you know a teacher as an orchestrator, right? That they're, they're the conductor of a symphony and sometimes you need a little more tech so you encourage it to come in and sometimes you need the tech to back off again and sometimes you need to swell and sometimes you need to be soft and you should be doing that as part of your classroom element. I, I really dislike the sage on the stage, guide on the side uh, mythology, in my mind mythology because I think there are plenty of times when you should just hold court in your classroom, right? Um, and I, my former students would tell you that I wasn't afraid to doing that but the bottom line is is that that's part of being a classroom instructional leader is saying that you know, we need a little more of your brain right now sans the tech, right? We need a little less, um, like, we don't need to spend time on these rope facts, right? You can look up that stuff. Let's get to the thinking of this issue. Right, because the goal is not to be using technology. And I think because it's so new and because the changes have happened so quickly, yep. that's what we tend to see. You know, back to the interactive whiteboards and interact, you know, smart board, Promethean boards, whatever. So many school boards, so many parents would come in, wow, look at it and you can touch it and it'll change. And, right. you know, that whole focus is on the technology. Um, I love the analogies of using technology in a ubiquitous way, like we are right. swimming and we're not thinking, oh, the water. I mean, maybe we do. We're like, whoo, this water is really comfortable. This isn't like freezing or this isn't super hot um, or the air, you know, ah, oh, this air, you know, this fall morning, we're walking out going, oh, this feels so good. But, you know, we don't go around all day thinking about the air, right? You know, we're talking about <laughs> ideas. We're, right. you know, engaging with each other. We're learning, we're doing things, we're eating, we're, we're living our lives. And so technology, well implemented and well integrated, becomes invisible, like the water or like the air, and we're able to do very powerful things. And I personally have a real gripe when, when people say, it's not about the tech, and, and then they conclude, we don't need it. You know, let's just throw it right. away. Well, wait a minute. You know, um, my, my wife 
as her kids have, like I said, with this new Zomatic app, you know, engaged in some really awesome discussions about current events. They've also shared their thoughts. One of them got featured on the app, which, you know, I don't know if it goes to thousands or millions of kids, but, you know, her kids are being empowered with the use of the technology to not only join the literacy club. And look, if we want to get on an exciting, you know, Mardi Gras float together for education, how about getting kids excited about reading? I'm sure that Dr. Yeah. Carderas is, would be on that boat too, right? Because who can't be, you know, knowing that becoming a member of the reading club and the literacy club is a hugely essential ticket to success in, in life and just opening up all kinds of possibilities. Yep. Tech can do that in huge ways and it can empower us to become the critical consumers and really citizens of our society that we need to be. And again, I'm going to do the shout out to Neil Postman because Postman would talk about in his home playing like 1875, you know, where they would turn off the television and, and even like electricity and they'd have candles and they'd play board games and they, they did that. There was a lot of value in that. I think it can be great to do a digital detox. You know, we, we yep. went camping this last summer and it reinforced for me, hey, every summer I think our family is going to go offline to where you can't even go online. You know, we were at 9,500 feet, you know, west of Buena Vista, Colorado, and it was awesome. And there were dynamics that happened there with our family that were that were very, that were facilitated in, in huge ways because of the fact that we had screens, but they couldn't connect to anything. So I, I think it's all about becoming a more savvy and intentional user of resources and, you know, citizen. I mean, being a steward, we've got, you know, resources in the planet. We got resources in our community. We've got technologies, you know, we need to be, Yep. You know, seeking to be wiser stewards of them and not just mindless, uh, mindless consumers. So yep. maybe well, we should invite Martin to join us on the show sometime, Jason. Yeah, I, th I think he wants to do it. He might be actually one of our viewers. Hey, we're up to three viewers, Wes. Hello, three viewers. But for for the record, we're we're getting a few hundred downloads a week on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, we so. joke about it, but yeah, uh, yeah, we're yeah, uh, well, more, more than that if you go over time, actually. So. And actually, this is this is an example of transformative tech, right? It's hard to get anybody, any group of people together, same time, same place. When we do things online, um, I mean, you know, of course, there's all kinds of shows that have all kinds of viewers, but the fact that we can asynchronously learn that we can, you know, record that this is recorded by YouTube. It's made into a, a an audio and video that's downloadable. I, I don't know. That's it, it's huge and beneficial as far as learning. So I have one other thought and then I'm going to toss it back to you and we'll do our geeks of the week. I think sure. another part of the answer to this situation and this whole, you know, these questions that are that are posed here by uh, Carderis. We've got to showcase the transformative learning that is happening with students. Um, we have a website at our school. It's showcase.cassidy.org, showcase.cassady.org. When I was in Yukon schools, uh, west of Oklahoma City a couple of years ago, it did a similar, similar thing, showcase.yukonps.com. Showcasing examples of of great learning and potentially transformative learning that in many cases uses technology, telling the stories, emphasizing the production of, of, of student work, you know, publishing and sharing. I just think that as we try and, and influence the headspace, the perceptions of folks when it comes to technology, how do you help shift that? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a fan of John Dewey. You know, education is experience. We need to have experiences, but we need to have exposure to, to others, to, um, you know, uh, to, to these kinds of, of learning experiences and these interactions that, that students are having. So I think we have important roles to play, um, of course, on multiple levels, but as folks in our community to try and share those stories. I think that's part of the, the solution and the way that we help people understand, no, it's not a complete $60 billion hoax where we should just throw out all the tech and just, you know, tell the kids to ignore, ignore the tech for these eight hours. And then we're just going to throw you back into, into your world and let you figure it out. You know, we're going to help you navigate the appropriate uses of the technology, help you become a hopefully responsible digital citizen and ethical user of the technology. And we're going to help you help equip you to use these tools in powerful ways to help change the world for the better. Um, because they are powerful and they can be used in incredibly destructive ways, but in the same time, they can also be used in real powerful and constructive ways. Yep. And, you know, I, 
I, I strongly believe that, that thoughtful decision-making usually can have you avoid the perils of a lot of, of, of hasty or, or, or panic decision-making, and that's the bottom line for, for schools and tech, right? I know that a lot of technology purchases do happen in, in a, I'm not going to say haphazard, but, you know, the, the famous end-of-year-money purchase, right? Like, we have to spare $26,000, what are we going to do with it? Or we have a grant that, that's given us some freedom and what to spend it on, what do we do it with? But the, the bottom line is, is that if you want that, that technology to do something in a classroom beyond either gathering dust or just becoming a massive digital distraction, then you have to put some thought into it. You know, teachers are smart and they know content and they know their kids. And if you present them with a model, and, and the one I always think about is prioritizing, right? It's student first, um, then content and or, pe- or, or content and or um, um, the, the curriculum. And then third is technology, right? If you keep those things, those three ranked, you're pretty likely, I think, to make pretty good decisions on behalf of kids. That means, you know, the, the, it's, it's the learning component first, then the technology. And then I think a lot of these problems ultimately go away. Um, so I, I think thinking, I mean, that's the bottom line. If you put thought into things, you, if you make good decisions, you know, utilizing the best of professionals, I, I, I don't think you can go wrong. And so that's why it's, I think, dangerous, I think, to write off so many environments with a, you know, a, a pretty, uh, 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 damning um, criticism of those pieces. All right. Well, I want to uh, give a shout out to our listener survey. And um, actually, I probably should uh, should pull up our survey and, and let people know who uh, we've had respond. Um, at the top of our show notes from last episode, which was 21, and we're in episode 22 currently, <clears throat> we've got a link and you can directly go to it if you're listening uh, using my shortened URL which is wfriar.me slash edtechsr, and that will allow you to take our uh, listener survey. So get, taking some notes from, from Note to Self and some other uh, favorite podcasts that are, that are using these, it's, kind of, it's, a, it's a good way to find out who's listening and if there's anything in particular that people would, would like to hear from. So uh, currently our, our one respondent is from Devonport, Tasmania, Australia. Um, and says the uh, favorite aspects are putting a well thought out view of the impact of technology and the changes in education and for an improvement, they say longer show. So and we did not make that up. So, uh, but he did say for future topics, open source software options, implementation and privacy issues. So, yep. you know, we're definitely going to, going to take on the privacy issue, uh, sort of, uh, surveillance age, age issue. And so, uh, those came from Simon Yaud, who is, uh, Simon, S-I-M-O-N-Y-O-U-D on Twitter. So that's optional. You don't have to share your, your identity with us, but, uh, if you want to, uh, we may share a shout out to you on the show. So, um, thanks to Simon and, um, we're going to do geeks of the week and then we'll, we'll kind of roll out with, uh, where people can find us online. So Jason, you want to share your geek of the week? Yes, um, I a couple weeks ago I had the opportunity to buy a super cheap uh, pair of headphones on Mega Sale because of coupon plus uh, I think it was a Labor Day weekend sale plus it was already on sale. Uh, I've mentioned Mono Price as a favorite place to buy peripherals and other uh, uh, things for technology. And in fact, tonight, and I'm wearing a, a, a my kind of go-to set here because uh, I wanted to show off these other ones on the show tonight. These are my, now I think these are now uh, 20 bucks. They can get them as low as 10 when they're on sale. These are the Monoprice um, super uh, durable um, headphones that uh, um, are, are great. I mean, these things could go through a, a pretty serious uh, um, a drop or even a, you know even abuse and, and survive. I recommend these for classrooms. But um, I was able to pick up one of their higher end sets a couple of weeks ago. And again, it was it was a lot cheaper than the price are the prices right now. They're, they're currently on sale, but I haven't seen them not on sale yet for just thirty dollars at auto price. But these are I would say the functional equivalent in my head to a Beats headphone. Um, they are really comfortable. The sound quality is super excellent. They're not noise canceling, but uh, they have uh, quality enough uh, padding on the earphones that I feel like that they are good enough that noise canceling is not an issue. Um, they come with a, a, a high quality wire. 
Um, and then, of course, a really beautiful case. And these have become my kind of go-to mobile headphones. Um, I do spend a lot of time working in coffee shops uh, because I, I like that atmosphere, but I still like to be able to create a little bit of my own music to concentrate and work. And these have become uh, amazing. They fit really well in the front pocket um, of, my, of my bag, uh, which is an easy way for me to uh, take these and uh, on the go. And, and again, just, just $30. And so I've had nice headphones. I've owned a pair of Beats. I've owned a, a couple of high-end sets, most of which I returned because it just didn't seem like it was worth the money. But I feel like the user experience in these headphones at just $30 is as good as the super expensive sets, and I don't feel like I'm carrying around a please steal me sign. So uh, these are the uh, monoprice over-the-year headphones. Um, I believe that, that they are currently just under $30 on sale. These are the, the so-called 12 230s, uh, $29.99 at monoprice.com, and I highly recommend them. Um, uh, I would also recommend them if you're looking for classroom sets of headphones. Uh, these uh, $20 headphones are, are just uh, really industrial quality uh, uh, headphones and, and beautiful sound and dirt cheap. So monoprice.com. Awesome. I'm probably going to use that. Uh, my geek of the week is Scratch Jr. by PBS. Um, we've had the release with iOS 10 this week of Swift Playgrounds. In fact, I was participating in a uh, Apple Distinguished Educator ADE chat last night that was all about Swift Playgrounds, and I'm I'm honestly excited to think about being further empowered to create apps. Part of literacy, part of helping our students become those critical thinkers and, you know, constructive citizens is really opening up the world of coding. And so uh, Scratch, if you're not aware, is a product of the Lifelong Kindergarten Group at MIT. Mitch Resnick, who on Twitter is MRES, M-R-E-S, is uh, one of one of the fathers. The, the grandfather of Scratch is, is actually Seymour Papert, who uh, back to the early days of computing with Logo and Turtles and, you know, helping young kids be able to connect math to, you know, the virtual world and being able to move these objects around. Anyway, Scratch Jr. Uh, was developed for the iPad and the Android um, and is a very you know, simplified implementation of, of Scratch. One of the biggest differences is that you really can't share your creations with Scratch Junior. There's an amazing multilingual community for Scratch that has over 5 million projects and just incredible creativity that's shown. And for the last four or so years, um, I've led some different Scratch camps here in Oklahoma City and shared that with uh, students and teachers. And so this Saturday, my wife is going to be doing a workshop with Scratch Junior. Uh, she's got second, third, and fourth graders that are coming. And as a result of that, she's been uh, scouring the web. She used, you know, Scratch Junior for, for PBS uh, this last year in her classroom. And, uh, Anyway, we, we were, she was asked to speak at the National PBS convention in Chicago in May, and we met one of the um, folks who helped uh, create Scratch Junior, who had been studying at the MIT Media Lab, and saw, hey, there's all these characters that kids know from PBS Kids. Why not put those characters into Scratch Junior, and then kids can create stories and make animations and, you know, create games and be able to do those things with their Scratch characters. And on the note of of not being overly uh, focused on screens, I learned about Nature Cat. Do you know about Nature Cat, Jason? I, I it sounds familiar. So it's a PBS Kids show, and so anyway, it's about being oh, out in nature. And nature Cat has lots of adventures, and now you can code your own adventures with Nature Cat with Scratch Junior. So it is free, and if you've got tablets in your in your uh, school, a wonderful thing to do is to introduce kids to coding. And um, this is definitely something that you're going to want to do more with early elementary, probably up to third grade, but maybe fourth grade. And there's you know it's coding, so there's you know the, the maze is the sort of top end pro, uh, project that she's going to offer up to, to the kids this weekend, and it'll be exciting to see what they can create and do with that. So, Jason, you want to tell us where folks can find you online and uh, where where you're sharing content these days? Sure. Actually, I would make one note. Um, I was just curious to find out uh, what I could see if I if I opened up an incognito window and went to the YouTube link, and there's been an active chat going on during the entire show. So, a uh, shout-out um uh, uh, to, to Martin, who apparently watched the show live tonight. So Martin, we love you. Um, and we need to bring you on to, 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 uh, uh, be a panelist on, on, on the show. But, uh, I think we need to figure out how to access that <laughs> yeah. on this interface. So, yeah. 
Have I mentioned that my moniker on Twitter is Tech Savvy Teach, uh, which is where you could find me on the Twitters. Um, I also blog fairly regularly at blog.ncc.org, where I happen to serve as the tech-savvy administrator for the um, really amazing Northwest Council for Computer Education, who I believe would also agree with us tonight that there is definitely a role for technology in the classroom. Wes, why don't you tell us where we can find you and send us on our way. Sounds good. Well, I am W. Fryer on Twitter, and I'm continuing to try and construct my own and reflect my own identity digitally with my profile, which I've updated from time to time. And uh, not only do you find the link to EdTechSR on my Twitter profile, but I'm excited to be co-teaching a STEAM studio after school with my friend Megan Thompson, who is our elementary art teacher. Uh, she is seeing new shapes on Twitter, and uh, we've got a link to we, – we made – art bots and art machines, which Science Friday did a neat show about that last year. So anyway, uh, publishing some information on her Google site website about Steam, but I'm primarily sharing content on Twitter, but periodically posting on my blog, which is speedofcreativity.org. Uh, we invite you to follow us on Twitter at EdTechSR. Check out all our show notes on edtechsr.com slash links. And please... Uh, let us know. Give us a shout out. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on uh, Pocket Casts, which is, I think, Jason and my favorite podcasting app on our respective uh, Android and iPhone devices. And we would love any feedback that you have. So you can reach out to us individually on Twitter or you can uh, reach out to us using the EdTech SR handle. And next week, our goal will be to participate in the back channel chat, which we thank those viewers that have participated tonight. Um, we'll have to check that out and see what, see what people said. So thank you all so much and stay savvy. There's a good moniker, a good exhortation for the end of our show until next time.